G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Marlin. Today, I'm bringing you a Q&A recording where I'm going to dive deep into some of the interesting questions getting asked on the Perth Property Investment Facebook group. If you're not already a member, head on over to Facebook, search us out, Perth Property Investment, and join in because we're always good to get other people's opinions, not just mine. The reason I choose these questions and share them on the podcast is so that we can help as many other investors who might be in the same boat. And I've got a lot of interesting ones today that are really varied, and I think um, they're going to make for some good listening. So let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth Property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management, sales and buyers agency servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here's your host, Jared Mann. Right. The first question that we've got today is, what are people's thoughts on subdivision? Currently have a house that has potential to subdivide and split the block in half. Wondering what would be the best option to retain the block and build on it, keeping in mind current building costs, or should we sell the block off and how much capital gains would we pay? So the way I like to look at this is, is it worth spending the money involved to either build or create that block of land compared to where else you can spend your money? And a big part of that assessing the return is looking at the risk of doing either option as well as the time period of doing either option because, of course, the return is very much dictated by the time it takes and what else you could be doing with your money over that time. So unlike popular perception, it, it's actually becoming quite a reasonable time to start looking at building again. The builders have their supply chains very much sorted, their prices a lot more stabilised, and I don't expect that building prices are ever going to come back down to what they were. It's a new normal for building prices, and they're going to stay relatively unchanged, I think. And how do you assess whether it's actually worth putting your money into doing this? Well, you need to do a basic feasibility. You don't need to get carried away in the first instance, but what you've got to look at is what would a house that is built going to sell for on completion. And to get an idea of that, you need to look at what size house you can build on there, what similar properties are selling for around the area. And it can be hard at the moment because there hasn't been a lot of development of newer houses in the recent years. And there's probably nothing that's new that's selling on the market. But likewise, while it's hard to find comparisons, it's also a good thing because it's not a huge amount of supply to compete with. So that's the flip side if you can take something forward and if it is going to potentially have the numbers to work. How do you get those prices? Well, you can chat to me as a starting point. You can chat to some local agents as well. We can give you some input as to what that block of land and the house might sell for in today's market. And then you can speak to a builder, speak to a surveyor and get the costs to actually develop the property with each of those options. You can work backwards from those end sale prices for what you'd get for them and factor in holding costs with interest because now that's a really big component that we can't leave out 
back in the days of 2%. If you happen to leave that off your feasibility, you're, uh, it'll be a bit more forgiving. These days at 6%, most rates are going to be 6 to 7%. Really need to include that cost and be realistic in the timeframes as well so that you have that holding cost be as accurate as possible. I've got some people that I can refer you to that can do this whole feasibility so that you don't have to do it. And that's probably going to be advisable based on if it's, this is your first time or first few times having an independent person sort of put all this together. You can do it on the back of the envelope first. And if it doesn't work on the back of the envelope, it's probably not going to work when you go deeper and produce a really detailed one. And look, it is really hard in this market to get a small development to stack up. That's the straight up truth of things. Because the established stock that things are selling for needs to catch up with the newer stock in terms of the price to build new. And that's why I'm so confident that price increases are going to keep blowing through to the rest of the established market for a while. And they'll, but there'll become a tipping point where the established market catches up enough. The scarcity of newer properties will be rare in these established areas. And we've already seen the building costs stabilize and timeframes stabilize. So there's going to be a sweet spot in there where it will become worthwhile doing these developments again. So if not now, the question will be when. And at least if you've got your relationships established with a surveyor and with a builder, I can make some introductions if you get in touch as well to those people, then you can just look to pull the trigger when the lights turn green. And in the meantime, you'd weigh up, okay, well, if that's not feasible, then you may want to put your money into buying uh, something else that's going to go up in the meantime, because Perth's looking very good uh, for where else you could put your money and do well in the shorter term. Hope that helps and get in touch if you need any price input or contacts in those areas. Next question, granny flat ideas. What are your thoughts on putting granny flats at the back of properties? So I have a property with a large backyard, 220 square meters, and could treat it like a battle axe. Place it, uh, a battle axe is where you have the, the granny flat behind the front house, side driveway you could set up. And it's called a battle axe because it looks like a bit of an axe when you've got the driveway hanging off of the rear lot. Placing a two by one with its own access to the back, own address and own utilities. This would make the entire property of five by two, main dwelling, three by one, property in Padbury. All comments and ideas appreciated. So look, again, similar to the first question where we were looking at subdivision, building and uh, development, granny flats are another form of development and you really do need to weigh up what you're going to get back from a return point of view in terms of uplift on the price of the property compared to how much it's going to cost and what you're going to get back from a better rental yield point of view and this goes for we didn't consider the rental yield in the first instance on the last question and if you whether or not you're selling a block or selling a house, they were they seem more focused on selling in that case, not keeping it and renting it out. So that's why I didn't go into that. In this case, I think you'd only ever do a granny flat if you were planning to keep it and rent it out and benefit from the higher rental yield from the overall property. But of course, in order to do that, how much is this granny flat going to cost? Well, it might be somewhere around 150000 maybe able to get it done for less but I think you're going to at least be at that sort of mark. 
Are you going to be able to get that back on the overall property? It can be questionable and whether someone's going to pay that extra for the property. If you're holding it more than 10 years, I'd feel better about it because you're going to have a longer payback period on your extra rent that you might get. You're probably going to get at least $300 a week, three times five, 15 grand extra per year. Is that 15 grand extra going to change your life? Not sure if it's the difference between holding it or not, then that could help you hold that property and you know help the rest of your portfolio. But the trouble with the outlay of this hundred and paying for this hundred and fifty thousand dollar granny flat is that you have to pay for it all in cash or equity that secured another property. You may be able to get a loan, but probably only at fifty percent LVR. You're going to have to tip at least seventy five k probably into it. I'd be surprised if you could get an 80% loan on doing it. I'd be more open to doing it if you can borrow as much as 80%, but you can have a lot of problems getting valuations to stack up because effectively you need to find sales evidence that's going to justify having that 150k extra added onto a three by one. They may be able to find it. You may be able to substantiate it. And that's why it's probably worth speaking to a finance broker to see what's possible and in financing because that's going to have a big impact on the cash that you need to put in and therefore the overall return on that cash. So look, I think granny flats are a good idea if you're trying to transition to the income stage of your portfolio. But my personal view is that it's far better to subdivide and or develop something as in the first question because you're usually at least creating a value uplift, a higher value uplift in that case than you are with a granny flat. And you're also getting the extra income in the in the first question that I answered as well as in this one. So I think uh, when you're trying to still build up your capital base of your portfolio, you should be building, trying to build capital first and aim for growth increases, not aiming for cash flow increases. Is 15K going to change your world? Probably not, but if it enables you to buy another property, having that double and having an extra 500 grand in your pocket over the next 10 years might change your world. Whereas over the next 10 years, it might have an extra 150 to 200 grand in your pocket from cash flow, but you're going to be taxed on that cash flow more aggressively. And that needs to be taken into account as well, especially if you're on a higher income and you're only ending up with 47 cents in the dollar. You know, how much extra cash flow do you want to be creating now versus later when you transition to the retirement phase? The other aspect I didn't cover in the first question, which I'd like to go back and touch on if you'd allow me to, is that when you go and sell something and you, you've developed it quite quickly, whether you're selling and a house has just been built or you're selling land, you need to speak to your accountant about what sort of capital gains tax is going to be required. But in a lot of cases, you're going to be paying certainly a lot more than if you'd developed that property, rented it out for a while, and then sold it later. So by the time that you pay that, if your gains are high enough as well, you may have to pay GST. And by the time you take the GST payment out, the capital gains tax payment out, you really need to be looking at your strategy as to whether you you really want to be selling all of that off or whether you'd be better off keeping it, renting out that newer house, potentially selling the front house that you've held for longer. You might be able to pay less capital gains tax on that. I'm no accountant, but chat to them about it. That may be a better strategy if you are actually going to build something. Wouldn't you rather keep the newer property that's going to have higher rental yield, higher depreciation in the same relative area? And that's what a lot of people do. 
when they do those duplex subdivisions. Okay, hopefully that closes out both those questions now. And I'll move on to the next one. Hi, everyone. I'm new to the investment property world. We're just about to turn our longtime family home in Beldarvis into an investment property. Just wanted to get some advice, insights regarding other people's experience with their rental properties. And is there any tips as far as preparing the house and making it as attractive as possible to attract a good quality tenant? Well, it's good to see that you're asking these questions uh, while you're still there and have the opportunity to make some changes easily before you move out. And ideally, we want to be setting things up for a tenant to be easy care. You know, if you can have retic for the gardens and the lawns, it's going to make sure that they can keep them easier. You can set up plants and other things to be hard wearing and easy care, and that's good as well. If your floor coverings or if you need to make any changes inside, you know, it's good to have hard wearing fixtures and fittings. If you're having to put in any new carpet, it's good to use dark colored carpet. I'm a big fan of hard floorings in most places of the house like my tiles because they're usually more hard wearing there's some reasonable hybrid uh, plank options that can just be changed out if a, a single plank's damaged usually better option than going vinyl which is harder to change out and uh, appears a lot more lower sort of quality so those are two good options tiles and uh, hybrid plank ideally you want to get the house fully painted and presenting well. Paint adds the most amount of value of all the things you can do, as well as gardens and landscaping. They're the two highest return on investment type things. And with painting all being done, it's very easy for us then as property managers to hold the tenant accountable to any damage. And if they're doing wear and tear above what is fair, then we can hold them up against it them to it as well and it's very quick easy for us to see i'll just clean that wall just get that back up to scratch and you can hold it to a much higher standard then and of course as this person that's asked the questions alluded to when you have all these things done yes it's easy to attract tenants at the moment we want the cream of the crop tenant don't we we want the the quality tenant that's going to be attracted to a house that presents really well because then they're going to usually have the ability to pay more over time they're going to treat the house with more pride and respect and they're hopefully going to stay longer in the property and we can go deeper to, if we've got more applicants, we can go deeper to be more scrutinising over all these things and make sure that they're the very best tenant that we can place in the property possible. So these efforts do make a big difference in who we can attract. Some other things that are pretty essential, I think, to most quality tenants is that you need air conditioning, either split systems or ducted. People love and prefer ducted, but it does cost extra. Usually one large split system in a family area you can get away with. Many tenants would like one in the master bedroom as well if you're going with splits. A lot of tenants would love to have a dishwasher too. That's going to make your property stand out. I mean, I would never rent a property back in the day for us without a dishwasher and there's only the two of us, me and my partner. Once you get used to having your dishes washed, you know, going back to manual, whose job that is that going to be going to fall on me? So had to have a dishwasher when we were looking at places. So those things, two things are going to make a big difference as well and can be added at the time of your moving out. And then you, you know, can claim those against your tax ongoingly as well and get some savings back and get a higher rent typically when we place that tenant too, not just a better quality of tenant. So I hope that helps. 
and hopefully we've been able to help you with your property management too because I think I did see you come on board with us. Really appreciate that. Next question, hi all. Apologies if this is a newbie question. No such thing. All questions welcome. Uh, currently on the lookout for investment property and have questions around lenders' mortgage insurance. Is LMI tax deductible for investment property? Look, as far as I know, the lender's mortgage insurance gets added onto the cost base that you're paying for the property, along with your stamp duty and other purchase costs. I think it goes on there, gets added to the cost base, and then it would come off of you know that cost base is then used later to work out how your capital gains tax would be calculated. So they take any gain in the from your selling price, less the cost base. And so it'll save you tax when and if you sell, I believe. Again, this is just my opinion, not accounting advice and definitely need to chat with an accountant on the specifics of how lender's mortgage insurance is treated. That's what I understand from my layman's perspective. And why I wanted to tackle this question more so was the second part in terms of the strategy and the thinking about whether as an investor, I would use lender's mortgage insurance or not. So the use of lender's mortgage insurance, basically you have to pay LMI when you only have a less than 20% deposit that you're putting down. So a lot of investors buy with a 90% loan, 10% deposit, pay lender's mortgage insurance, and that's going to enable them with the same deposit to get into potentially two properties when they might only otherwise be able to buy one. Might be more like one and a half by the time you pay your lender's mortgage insurance and your other settlement costs that are such as transfer duty, but it's going to enable you to get into more properties quicker. Now, back in the day when I was starting out, I would pay lender's mortgage insurance and borrow at the higher loan to value ratios because I could see how much prices were increasing month on month in the areas that I was looking. And I thought to myself, well, if it's going to take me another year or two years to save up that extra 10%. And you can work this out by looking at how quickly you can save. You should know how much you're able to save on average per month. So you can work out in time how long it's going to take to save that 10%. And if it's going to take a long time and the market is going up, then you know the market on price for that property could very well go up minimum 10% over the next year. So that's going to be well and truly offset by the one or two percent extra you might have to pay in uh, lenders mortgage insurance now lenders mortgage insurance unlike what a lot of people think is it's not going to insure it's not a cost that is paid to insure you if you default on your loan the bank's still going to come after you in the same way lenders mortgage insurance is what the bank is using as insurance to protect them against you so the LMI, the lender's mortgage insurer is covering the extra risk that the bank takes because you're borrowing in a higher loan-to-value ratio and it's a one-off cost that's payable to them to cover the extra risk of you to the bank so the, the bank is willing to lend on that extra risk. So long and short of it is that when we start getting to a place that we're able to save more rapidly when we've got equity growing on our properties, those of us that are in a good cash flow position generally would prefer to use cash and put cash down for that 20%. Because the other factor to consider is when you borrow at a higher loan to value ratio, especially in these times, 
it's going to mean a greater holding cost for that property too. It means you have to finance more, so you're going to have greater holding costs towards loan interest to pay. So personally, I like putting all cash into that 20% down. I know some investors even put 30% in or 40% down at the moment to reduce that burden of holding cost. Yes, they control less properties and you know, I think there's a balancing act to play with that. I prefer to keep it to 20% down initially and put all cash in so that it re- doesn't give me as great a holding cost. If I use equity to pay for the deposit, then I've got 100% borrowing and it's going to hurt my cash flow a lot more on that property. The other reason I like to put 20% down instead of just 10% is if you want to refinance to another lender, if the property hasn't grown by at least 10% in the case that you've only put in a 10% deposit, then you're going to be a lot more limited and potentially trapped with that current lender. Because otherwise, to go to someone else or to refinance, if you're still above 80% in the loan-to-value ratio, you'd have to pay lender's mortgage insurance again to take that loan to another bank. So you're kind of trapped until you get at least that 10% uplift in price and then you can, the loan can be portaled and changed around to other banks and you're not uh, as restricted. So that's why I, I like and prefer to put 20% in from the start. If I want to change banks, it's very easy and I'm able to refinance without trouble. hope that goes into answering some of the variables for considering to use LMI. Get in touch if you need any other clarification and certainly seek out some input from an accountant on how it's handled for tax and its deductibility. Next question. Hi all, when searching for property, what's people's preferences for a website they use? Rewa, realestate.com, domain, is there any difference? Well, look, it's a valid question to ask because I'm sure in each of the different states around Australia, one of these uh, different portals is going to be the more popular one and when they're more popular with buyers it means that more agents are going to be putting their listings on there and it's nice if you can just use one site and see as many listings as possible and from everything that I understand here in WA realestate.com is my personal go-to and that's where I would always as a selling agent put all of my listings on. I personally favour Rewa second and it's heavily supported by all of us local agents and they've got a very usable site with a lot of extra data and insights in there so i'm a big fan of reba as well it i would have a play around with both of these see which one you like register for alerts on one or the other if you want to double up you can double up domain is another one that is worth considering and then there's a whole bunch of secondary and other ones that people find unique things about and uh, find them to be your more user-friendly. But for me, they're not always going to have every property that us agents list. So check those out. You'll notice small pros and cons to each. I personally would look to focus on either realestate.com or Rewa. But see what you like, register your alerts, and uh, keep on top of it. hope that helps. Now for our last question. Hi, all. First time investor here trying to get into the WA property market. Currently in a dilemma between buying an apartment versus buying a house. Leaning towards buying an apartment near CBD for rental yield rather than capital growth. Part of the reason also due to administrative overhead, ease of maintenance and possibly upkeep costs. 
trying to get feedback, advice from more seasoned investors in this forum, will you suggest an amateur investor to start with an apartment investment first? So look, I've got a episode coming up where I'm going to deep dive into strata properties. And I think that would be a good one for you to listen to. I want to go through the pros and cons of strata versus green title and some of the factors to consider. And if you've listened to any of my episodes before, you'd know that I'm not the biggest fan of high density inner city, West Perth, Perth, East Perth apartments. But that's just if you've got an unlimited budget and it, you've really got to look at what your strategy is and what you're trying to get out of them. So if you're more leaning towards cash flow, an apartment can be worth considering because you can also do things like furnishing them to boost the cash flow and that's going to be more suitable in a CBD type market. And I would be really asking myself what you're trying to achieve. So for most people, it's best if you focus on growth to build up your capital, grow your portfolio first, then lean towards income later. So it does, I guess, flag to me in this question where they've talked about being a first-time investor and and I I wouldn't be focusing on yield if I was a first-time investor personally. And if you're worried about the overhead and the upkeep, I think it's going to be quite comparable in most cases between an apartment and a house or a detached type of dwelling. You know, everything needs maintenance ongoingly. With apartments, they have to have maintenance of a common area as well that you're going to be paying for that your tenants may enjoy, but you're not going to see any of the benefit of. So that is a is potential other maintenance and ongoing costs that you may not otherwise have if you invested in a villa or a townhouse or a house with lower density and not as great a common area things to maintain and keep up. So the other part to that is if you've got a house, surely you'd have a property manager to look after these things and they're going to do all the organizing for you. It's not something you should need to worry about if you've got the right property manager that's giving you peace of mind. And of course, we're property management specialists in that space to get in touch if you do end up purchasing any type of property anywhere in Perth, we can help and look after things for you and of course give you that peace of mind so that when you are over interstate or overseas, you can just forget about it and leave it to us to manage things tightly. Thanks for tuning in today. If you're not already a part of the action and discussion over at Perth Property Investment Facebook group, head over. We'd love to see you along there and keep posting your questions and helping each other out with uh, answers. Catch you on the next one. Just a reminder, the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature. As we don't know your specific situation, you should always seek professional advice before taking any action. For free market reports on your suburb of interest and other helpful resources to grow your wealth, make sure you join my property investor update at investorshedge.com.au slash join. And finally, make sure you're a member of our Perth Property Investment Facebook group to be part of the conversation with other like-minded investors, get help to your questions, and get a feel for what's going on out there in the market. I'll see you in the group.